Well, like Lori said, we're in a series where we're taking a look at ordinary lives that teach us some extraordinary lessons. And, and if you think about that, at least as I've thought about it, that's how life happens, right? I mean, my mom or my dad or my brother, uh, my kids, hey, oftentimes just through, so to speak, their ordinary lives may say something that just impacts my life. And I think that's true for all of us, isn't it? Maybe it's a person at work, and they're not this big, super extraordinary person. They're just a normal person goes in, punches the clock from 9 to 5, and they say something, or they share a story, and somehow it changes our paradigm on life. Well, I would have you know that this is God's way of working in our life. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, these things happen to them, these ordinary people, as examples for us to teach us extraordinary lessons. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. You see, this is how God operates. He just takes, as I like to say, plain, plain old people, and he likes to use them to teach some just extraordinary lessons. And today, we're going to take a look at an ordinary guy named Elisha. Now, you may think, oh, I know this guy, okay? He's the guy who called down fire on those false prophets from um, uh, those 450 false prophets of Baal, and they were consumed with fire on Mount Carmel. That's the guy, right, Pastor George? And I'd say, no, you're wrong. That's Elijah. We're going to talk about Elisha, okay? He was the ordinary prophet that was a mentoree of Elijah. Now, I have learned this, even this week with ESPN, that you don't want to have a name similar to someone else's name because it can get you in trouble. For those of you who are in sports, you know exactly what I'm talking about here, okay? This is a confusing thing. And I, in fact, I have to look at my notes a little bit because I even get them mixed up. Elijah, Elisha, Elisha, Elijah, okay? But we're going to be taking a look at Elisha. And as you and I look at his life, and as you study his life, he really did do two times more miracles than Elijah. And today, my hope is that you and I will begin to understand how we can see miracles happen in and through our lives. Now, before I talk about that, I want to say a couple of things. And the first thing I want to say is this, that the Christian life is a miraculous life. If you're checking out Christianity for the very first time, I would want you to know that the Christian life is miraculous. It is not to be boring. It is not to be ho-hum. It is not dull. It is not business as usual. It is a miraculous life because it starts out with a new life of forgiveness through understanding the life, the, the death, the burial, and then that great miracle, the resurrection of Christ. And by the way, it ends for you and I by being in heaven perfect. Think about that. It starts with forgiveness. It ends with perfection. And you got to admit, you being perfect, that is a miracle, right? Probably the greater miracle is the person next to you being perfect, okay? That's probably the greater miracle. But nevertheless, that is awesome, okay? The second thing I want to say is this. God is still doing miracles between those two things. And oftentimes we miss this because we don't understand what miracles are. So I want to give you a 40,000-foot view 
of miracles. Basically, miracles fall into two categories. There are supernatural miracles, and then there are life-changing miracles. Supernatural miracles are when God does something through nature. Healing a blind man, okay? Walking on water, the splitting of the Red Sea, the feeding of the 5,000, the, the sun stopping so that Joshua could, could win this battle. Folks, those, those are impressive miracles, right? They are supernatural miracles, and we, we remember those for a long time, and they're great miracles. But there are also life-changing miracles, like when God changes a heart. Or like when God changes a life by bringing them to faith to understand the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Like God changing a person's character. Now, oftentimes when we think of miracles, we think that the supernatural miracles are the real miracles. And the other ones, eh, I'm not so sure. But I want you to think about this. The things that happen in nature are here today and gone tomorrow. But the things that God does in you, in your heart, in your character, is going to last forever and ever and ever and ever. When God changes a life, folks, I'm guaranteeing you, that life is going to be changed for eternity. When God changes a marriage, that joy from that change in that marriage is going to last forever. When God changes your character, the power that comes through life change is going to last forever. And so my question is this, in one sense, which is the greater miracle? As we dig into this ordinary character of Elisha, we're going to see how God wants to do miracles in your life and through your life. Now, I got to be honest with you. I got a lot of questions about miracles myself, don't you? I read through the Bible, there's all kinds of questions pop in my mind. Uh, uh, why, like, why don't more, why don't I see more miracles today? Like, why do I have to wait so long to see a miracle? And maybe the most important question is this why doesn't that one miracle that I really, really, really want to see happen? happened for me. Now, folks, I'd be filled full of pride if I told you I know all the answers to all the questions about miracles. The why, what, when, where, and how. What, why they happen for you and not for me, and why they happen for uh, me and not for you. Folks, if I, if I said that I had all the answers, I'd just be filled full of hot air. I'd be nothing but pride. But I can tell you what I do know. That miracles are not about what I'm doing. And they're not about what you're doing. They're about what God's doing. I may not know all the answers to all the questions of miracles, but I know that they're not about me, that they're about God. And God is still doing miracles today. David speaks of this in Psalms 86, verse 10, where he says, For you are great and do great miracles. You alone are God. And so my prayer this week, as I've been praying for our spiritual family, is that whatever you do, I've asked God, God, don't allow this one thing that this person really, 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 really wants to happen. Allow them to miss what you are doing, the miracles you are doing in their life 
and through their life right now. And so my hope as we study this ordinary life is that you will know what to do to see miracles happen in your life and through your life. Because I believe, I really believe this, God is still in the business of doing miracles. So what is Elisha, this ordinary prophet, who followed Elijah around for year after year after year. What does he teach us about this? Well, the first thing that he teaches us is this, that you have to live with tenacity. You have to live with tenacity. You see, the key to seeing more miracles in your life, I think, is learning to live between the miracles. And sometimes, I'll say the distance, the time between miracles is a long time. And if you think about it, at least those two big miracles that I mentioned, forgiveness and perfection, okay, that's where most of life is spent, right? It's spent between the miracles, And so I think it's important that you and I learn how to live between the miracles. And and Elisha's first message about doing this is this, that you and I have to live with tenacity. You see, Elisha, before he saw this miracle that we're going to take a look at here in a moment, he spent year after year after year as an apprentice to Elijah, out in the desert, out of sight, nobody seeing him. And him not seeing very many miracles in himself and through himself. You see, how do you sign up in the 21st century as an apprentice in the art of miracles? Well, Elisha would say this. You sign up to be a servant. You sign up to serve in God's economy of things. Because remember, miracles aren't about you and me. They're about what God is doing. And God says, I want you to be a servant and I want you to come alongside of me so that I can show you what I am doing in this world. And folks, that makes sense to me, okay? If miracles happen just because, I don't know, I went to some little bottle, a genie in the bottle, and I just rubbed it the right way and out pops a genie and I say, hey, I want these three miracles today. I'd be filled full of pride. I'd think it's all about me. Oh, it's just me. Okay, it's me. Or if, I, or if I thought I could just, I don't know, go to church, throw 20 bucks in the offering plate and just say, okay, God, do this miracle today. Folks, I would think that it would be all about me, but it's not. It's not about me. It's about God. If I thought it was about me, I'd be filled full of pride. And so what happens? So let's look at what happens in this regards about living with tenacity through Elisha. In 2 Kings 2, 1, 1 through 2 and 4 and 6. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to, to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Will you underline or circle the phrase, I will not leave you? 
There you see the tenacity of Elisha. Even though Elijah told him three different times, hey, I want you to stay here. Hey, will you just leave me alone? Just stay back here. I'm going to move on without you. Elisha said, no, I'm with you through thick and thin. I'm going to stick with you all the way. I am not going to leave your side. You see, the miracle that was going to happen here, folks, as you read in the story later, that it was going to happen at the Jordan. It wasn't going to happen at Bethel. It wasn't going to happen at Jericho. It was going to happen at the Jordan. So here's the point. To see miracles happen in your life and through your life, you have to have the tenacity to go all the way to Jordan. Tenacity is about taking the entire trip. You don't stop at Bethel. You don't stop at Jericho. You go the, on the complete journey. But God, I mean, I, I just went one mile in this thing. Isn't that enough? God would say, no. You've got to go the distance. So here's my question for you. You want to see miracles happen in your life and through your life? Where is God asking you to go further in your faith and in your love and in your hope? Because that's where he wants to do miracles in your life. Let's say that you're praying for a miracle. Let's say you're praying for a relational miracle, that you want your marriage to get better. Now, we all know, let's be honest, we all know when someone says, hey, you know what, our marriage needs to improve, what they're saying is that you need to improve, right? I've been married 43 years. I know how that works. Cheryl says, George, I think we need to work on our marriage. She, in essence, is saying, George, I think God needs to change you. If you would change, you know, life would be grand, okay? I think that, let's just be honest, that's the way it is. But, but think about that. Whether it's changing of that person or whether it's changing the marriage in its totality, okay? It takes time, doesn't it? It just doesn't happen overnight. And so it requires tenacity. Tenacity to choose to love them when you don't feel like loving them. Tenacity to choose to believe in them when you don't, believe, when you don't feel like believing them. The tenacity to go to counseling when you don't feel like going to counseling. This is the journey of tenacity. And I want to let you know, every one of us, including myself, we don't like to wait. I'm AAA. I don't like to wait for anything. It all should have been done yesterday, right? But that isn't how it works. Moses had, was in the wilderness for 40 years before he saw the Red Sea split. Joshua, the mentee of, uh, of, of Moses, was by Moses' side almost his entire life before he saw the walls of Jericho coming down. Peter walked with Jesus three years before on Pentecost he preached and saw 4,000 people saved. So I would ask you again, where is God asking you to go further in? in your love, in your faith, in your hope. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at this, I think, what does real tenacity look like? Well, I happen to believe that the greatest miracle is the miracle of salvation. When God opens the eyes of a person to help them see the, the, the life, the, 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 the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, and they choose to drop it from their heads to their hearts and say, I want to be a follower of Christ. I think that is the greatest miracle 
ever. When I was growing up, I grew up in Sugar Creek, Missouri, and I had a friend. Sugar Creek, Missouri is, was, is a town, was a town uh, that still is a town, but it's not built around, it was built around Standard Oil. It was a Bohunk town. It, it was filled full of Poles and Germans. I, I have German descent, okay? And my best friend was Doug Poltz. He was a Polak. I always told him, you're a Polak, okay? But we were the best of friends. He used to live at the top of the hill, and I lived at the back of the hill. And our backyards joined each other. And Doug and I went, uh, did life together deeply. We went crawdad. I mean, every day we, we were doing something, but we went crawdad. And you know what crawdading is? It's when you go to the butcher shop, and back then you go, they had butcher shops, and you'd just get free liver and butcher string. And we'd take it, and we'd go to the creeks, and we'd throw it in, and these crawdads would grab on. We'd collect them, and we'd get a penny each for them out at the bait shop. That's how we made money for candy and things like that. Doug and I did life together deeply. We skateboarded together. That's when the wheels were made out of metal. We're talking ancient history, okay, here. We went boar hunting because there was lots of woods. We double dated. We went to the same university. In fact, I introduced him to the girl that he eventually married, Debbie Whitehead. I stood up at his wedding. Doug and I did life deeply in the elementary years, the high school years, and in the beginning of the college years until I gave my life to Christ. And when that happened, we started parting ways. In essence, Doug says, George, you're weird. I, can't, I just can't be around you anymore. And Doug would periodically pop in when there was some, I don't know, crisis in his life with his folks. Hey, can you pray for him, George, because you have a connection with God, okay? Or can you pray for my marriage? Stuff like that. And I can tell you this, that after I came to know Christ, I prayed for Doug. I prayed, God, would you just open his eyes to see who Christ is? Well, 10 years elapsed. I'm a pastor, and I'm, I'm in Columbia, Missouri. And I get a phone call from Doug and says, hey, George, I'm on my way on a business trip from uh, Kansas City to uh, St. Louis. Can we just meet in Columbia since you live there at Denny's? I I'd like to just get caught up. And so we did. It was early in the morning. I'll never forget it. And we're getting caught up in each other's lives and kids and family and all that stuff. And then Doug pauses and says, George, I want you to know something. I gave my life to Christ. And I thank you for your example and your persistence. Now, I'd like to say that during those 10 years, that when I prayed, I prayed with faith and confidence that, that Doug would come to the Lord, but I didn't. I'd like to say in those 10 years, I thought of Doug every day. Folks, I didn't. But I can't say this. That when Doug would go through my mind, I had hope that one day he would say yes to Jesus Christ. Folks, I think that's what tenacity looks like for most of us. It's hanging on to faith. It's hanging on to hope. It's hanging on to love. It's hanging on to that last thread of faith, hope, and love. I think that's what tenacity is. Tenacity doesn't mean that you're perfect every step of the way. Tenacity is just going back to faith and hope and love. So I would ask you this. If you want to see miracles in your life, what do you need to go back to? Faith, hope, love? You see, Eli Elisha went back. I'm not going to leave your side. I'm going to stay here. You're not going to chase me off. I'm sticking with you to the very end until I see this miracle. So you live with tenacity. Secondly, you live with sensitivity. 
you live with sensitivity to what God is doing in the world. Now listen to how it worked in Elisha's life. 2 Kings 2 verse 3. The company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you not know that the, <clears throat> that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. You see, these prophets, and I would say Elisha as well, but these prophets were being sensitive. They were being sensitive to what God was going to do that day. They knew that that day was going to be a special day for Elisha. That God, in essence, was going to rapture him. That he was going to take him to heaven without dying. And we have a little proof of that in the New Testament. When Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, guess who shows up? Moses and Elijah. Okay? So this was the miracle. God was going to kind of rapture him but they are being sensitive to it. Now, this doesn't take rocket sciences. Rocket science, okay? You become sensitive to things that you focus on, right? If you focus on, a person, on, on people's moods, then you will understand the mood of that person. For me, it's really simple. I'm either mad, sad, or glad. Those, I have three emotions. My wife, I can't even number the emotions, okay? But if you focus in on people's moods, you will understand their mood. If you, focus, if you focus your attention on a person over a period of time, you will know their idiosyncrasies. My son knows mine backwards and forwards. He likes to make fun of them, okay? Glad he's in D.C. By the way, he got a job. So he, go God. <clears throat> I don't have to pay for food. So... You're going to know people's idiosyncrasies more than those who don't study them. And these guys were all sensitive to God's work. Why? Because they'd spent time focusing on God's work in their own lives. So here's my point. The key to experiencing more miracles in your life isn't you convincing God to do what you want done. It's you being sensitive to what God wants. It isn't you convincing God, because remember, it's not about you. Miracles aren't about you. They're about what God is doing. It is you being sensitive to what God wants done. Because here's the deal. God gets done what God wants to get done. And Elisha teaches this to us in two specific ways in this, in this verse. But will you write this down? The first way is by being sensitive to God's actions, how God acts, what God is going to do next. These prophets, along with Elisha, were all going, all were sensitive and knew what was going to happen that day, that Elijah wasn't going to be on planet Earth past that day. They all understood that, and they all knew it. Now, how does that happen in the 21st century? How does that happen for you and I that live in Collin County? How, how do you and I get sensitive to what God is doing in our world? Well, let me tell you how you don't do it. First, you don't do it by watching the news. When you watch the news, what you get is the news. You don't get the sensitivity behind the news. 
The way you get sensitivity to what God is doing in the world is through God's word and God's people. When you spend time in God's word with God's people, you're going to become sensitive. You're going to become sensitive to what God is doing in the world because you will learn who God is and what God does and how he works and what he's going to do next. That is why I say it's important to never miss church. That is why it's important to be involved in community because, folks, it's when you and I are in community that we learn how God works and what he's like and how he does things, and what he's doing next. Let me give you an example. I woke up Friday, and obviously this storm is coming in, and during my quiet time, uh, God just had this impression. I was reading, George, you need to serve those who are hurting down in, you know, Houston area. I don't know anybody down in Houston, to be honest. I know a few families, but they're not in that path and up further north and things like that. But as I was driving to the mall to work on this message, I get an email, because I get them on my phone. I get an email from one of our members that says, George, I know a pastor in Victoria, Texas, who could use our help. Here's his number. And we've contacted him. That was a God thing. We're going to get to enter into a miracle. I don't know, a week, two weeks from now, whenever things kind of dry out and we can get down there. But that's how it works. It happens as you're in God's word with God's people. The second way is this, by being sensitive to people's needs. You see, God's work in the world is about meeting people's needs. Let me put it another way. The miracle of meeting people's needs is what God is all about. You see, Elisha knew that this was Elijah's last day on earth. And what did he say to these prophets? Hey, guys, stop talking about it. What, what's going on here? He's grieving. He's been with Elisha year after year after year after year. He's grieving, and he's asking these prophets, Hey, guys, will you be sensitive to my needs? Now, how do you and I be, become sensitive to the needs of people that are in our world? This is not rocket science, folks. There's two ways, with your eyes and with your ears. Truly, sometimes just giving a person a look of compassion, you can enter into their life and begin to see a miracle happen. Or as you listen to what they're saying, God's giving you and I an opportunity to enter into their world and see a miracle happen. I think we can all admit, can we not, that we need to be more sensitive that we need to look more with our eyes and we need to listen better <clears throat> with our ears of the needs that are going on in our world. But what do we choose to do? I saw this this week. I was on the other side of this restaurant. This lady had, I think, one or two kids. Anyway, enough kids that she had this tray and trying to bring this kid along. And it was getting wobbly right by this person's table. And they were like this. Someone got up and went over and helped that lady. Wow. You see, when you and I do those two things, 
when we are sensitive to God's actions and when we are sensitive to people's needs, I guarantee you this, you and I will see more miracles happening in our life and through our lives. Because a lot of times those things happen when people are in difficulties, when they're in a disaster, when they're in some kind of turmoil in their lives. And that'll happen in your life too. I think of the cross. I think we've heard this, right? That God turned the crucifixion into the resurrection. When I think of the, the message of the cross, at least in part, I think God turns disasters into miracles of forgiveness through the resurrection. And guess what? God wants to do the same through you and other people's crucifixion moments. And God wants to do the same for you when your world is falling apart. I say this, when that happens, get ready because God is about ready to do a miracle. If you remember last April, we had our outrun homelessness thing, right? Remember that? I was walking around, I had pneumonia. I, I didn't even, I didn't feel good, but you know, I have a high pain tolerance. Hey, this will pass, you know, I'll get over it. I'm a guy, you know, I don't go to the doctor. Dr. Sam Sula goes to this church. I hope you didn't hear that, Doc. Um, but Cheryl finally convinced me, George, you need to go to the doctor. So I go to the doctor, take a picture of my lungs. and says, you know, you've got, you got pneumonia. You feel bad? You have a hard time breathing? No, I'm fine. I'm a guy, okay? Oh, and by the way, oh, we'll give you medicine for that. That's nothing. But uh, you know what? We took pictures uh, at the same time of your uh, kidneys and your bladder. They're two times the size that they should be. You got any back pain? No. We didn't close the kidney failure. God took that crucifixion, disastrous thing of pneumonia and exposed something else. Now, the miracle wasn't my healing. I'm not to say that, that wasn't a miracle. But you don't want to know what the greater miracle that I experienced during those six months that I was hooked up? It was this. I saw my wife, who we had been married 42 years at that point, wake up an hour early to get me ready to start at 5 o'clock in the morning and stay up an hour later. I saw her fulfill her commitment for better or for worse, in sickness or in health. I saw her love for me, and that was the biggest miracle of all. What about you? You see, the key to seeing miracles is being sensitive to what God is doing in the world with other people. And then it is being tenacious to go the distance. The third thing that Elisha teaches us is this, to live with purity. And you see Elisha's purity in what he asks for. In 2 Kings 2, verses 7 and following, 50 men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elisha took his cloak rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I, do, what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Let me 
inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked for a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. What you're seeing here is the purity of heart of Elijah in that he is unafraid to ask what his heart's desire or ask for his heart's desire. And what is that? A double portion of Elijah's spirit. What's that about? Two phrases. To be and to do. Elijah's Purity of prayer is around being and around doing. I want to be what Elijah is. I want to be double what Elijah is. And I want to do double of what he has done. You see, Elisha knew what it cost Elijah to do what Elijah did. Because, folks, he'd been with him year after year after year. He saw the cost, the physical cost, the spiritual cost, the emotional cost, the mental cost, the relational cost. And what it developed in Elijah's life, in his character, and what resulted from that. And so Elisha is saying, I want double the character. That that is a pure request. Elijah's heart. I work with young pastors, and they see Life Point Church. They see all that God's done in the last, I don't know, 28, 29 years, right? And they say, you know what, I'd love to do what you're doing. And when I hear them say that, I think, are you willing to go through what I have gone through to become what I am in order to do what I am currently doing? Does that make sense? Sometimes we just like to leap to the very end. I want that. But we don't realize the cost involved. And Elijah says, I know what the cost is. And from a pure heart, he said, I want it. Because I want to do what God is doing. You see, sometimes I think purity gets a bad rap. Because it's not about what we want to do. It's about what we don't want to do, right? In Texas, we got this phrase. It's kind of wrapped with this definition of purity. You know what? You don't smoke, you don't chew, and you don't go with girls that do, right? I mean, you just don't. You don't do this, you don't do that. That's, that's, that's what purity is. But folks, that's not purity. Guess what that is? That's abstinence. Abstinence isn't purity. Purity isn't trying, you know what? I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this. That's how we oftentimes de- define it. And so as a result, what do we do? We do it. Let me give you my definition of purity, and it is this. It is single-minded ambition to be and to do something great for God. When you give yourself to do something that God wants done, what you will find in your life is that you will be drawn to pay the price to do the right things and drawn away from the wrong things. And why does that work? Because you're looking at something else, because you visualize, I want to go in a different direction. I want to end up in a different place. And Elisha teaches us through this purity of prayer, hey, I want to be something, and I want to do something. When I read that, 
And I think of this story of Elisha and that prayer. Folks, I think back in a time when I gave my life to Christ. And, and yes, I lost friendships over it. And truly, I would say I lost the respect from my family. Because my family were a bunch of professionals. And they looked down upon people in ministry. They are a bunch of freeloaders. And Cheryl and I experienced this most of our marriage. I think it wasn't until we were close to 50 that we finally got invited at family reunions. We finally got invited up to the adult table, you know? I mean, there, there was the adult table, and then there was the little kid table. And here Cheryl and I, 45, 50 years old, we're sitting down with the little kids and our little cousins, you know? Oh, how's life? But I can tell you this. There were four people that prayed over my life. And I would encourage you to get people to pray over your life. But I had four people pray over my life. My grandma, after I went into the ministry, her prayer was wrapped up in one word, George, be obedient. I don't know why she prayed that for me. I, I always thought I was obedient, but nevertheless, she must have seen something. Be obedient. My mom was, George, be strong. Then there was this gal, Ruth Whitlock. African-American gal. Uh, she, she's on the road now. Her, it's Madison Ward, which is her son, and, uh, and Mama Bear, Ruth Ritlock. I'll never forget. She says, George, God's going to, she prayed over me. She says, God's going to use you one day, George. And then my wife, where she's prayed over my life and says, George, people need the Lord. Don't quit. You see, people ask me, George, have you ever seen miracles in and through your life? Every Sunday morning when I, when I come here, I look at him. I see him. If you don't think I don't see miracles, I see him every Sunday morning when you guys walk in here because I see God working in your life. Some of you, I think of Janae, who just a few months ago, who was an atheist, gave her life to Christ, and she shared her story with me at McDonald's. Today, I see miracles every question is you, do you want to see miracles happen in your life? Do you want to see God working in you and through you? Then I say this. You don't have to go into ministry to see it happen. In fact, I would say this, stay where you're at. Stay in the workplace, stay in the school, stay in the home, stay in your neighborhood, stay in, uh, on the soccer team that you are because God wants to do great things in you and through you at those places. You, because it's as you and I are in the world that people see Jesus. Have a single-minded ambition. I'm gonna live my life with tenacity and I'm going to stay in this workplace. I'm going to stay in this home. I'm going to stay in this neighborhood. I'm going to stay uh, in, in this job. I'm going to, I'm going to have single-minded ambition in my, uh, in my plans, my goals for you, God. You and I need to have the spirit of, of, of the Apostle Paul who says, I am reaching forward to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of me. I am reaching to, to forward to win the prize that God is calling me heaven bound with. And it's as you and I have that single-minded ambition and we live where we're at, that people see Jesus and they begin to see miracles happen in their life. Now how does this happen? 
Real simple. It's as you and I have pure hearts. As we run from something to something and with others. When we run away from the old patterns and we run towards the new and as we run with others who are going in the same direction. As we run from the old patterns, the old habits, the old ways of thinking. By running towards the new, the new faith, the new hope, the new love. And as, and as you and I do that, what people see is that we have opportunities to offer up maybe a new faith that they've never seen before. Or a new hope that they've never had before. Or a new kind of love that, that encompasses them, that changes their life. And then you run with people who are going in the same direction you are. You see, we live in such an individualistic society that we think that we can get there on our own. We cannot. We run with people who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And when you and I do that, I guarantee you this, you and I will see more miracles happen. And why do I say that? Well, Pastor George, how in the world can you say that? Because Jesus made this statement. And it's a true statement out of, out of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see what? The kingdom of God. And so as you and I run from and run towards and run with, we will see the kingdom of God advance. Because it's not about what we're doing. It is about what God's doing. And I still believe that God wants to use us that he still will use us. We realize that it's not about me. It's about God. God, what are you doing? So I can enter into it. Let's pray. Lord, I just really thank you that you are a God of life. God, you're just filled with life. Things that are new and fresh that revitalize, that stir up, that builds excitement. God, we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of what you are doing in this world. God, I pray for our church as we enter into this fall. God, in just a few more days, a few more weeks, we're going to be kicking the fall off. God, we want to be where you're at because we know that's where the action is. That's where we know life is at, God. And so God, help us as a church to get there. Help us as people to see it, not only in the walls of the church, but God, outside the walls of the church. You using us. You working in us, God. I don't know where you're at today spiritually. Maybe you haven't seen much happen in your life. Maybe, just a maybe. Maybe it's because you don't have Christ in your life. That's where it starts. It's where you drop him from your head into your heart. We live in the South. There's a church at every quarter. So it's easy just to adopt and just think, yeah, I'm there. When in reality, we don't have that relationship. So maybe you need to start there today by just saying this, God, I admit I've blown it. I haven't seen any miracles because I'm working against you, not for you. But today, I believe that you came you lived, you died, you were buried, but you resurrected. 
And I want to invite you into my crazy, chaotic world and ask you to work in me so that you can work through me, God. In my workplace, in my family, in my home, on the soccer. If you prayed that prayer, simple as it was, and you meant it from a pure heart, God heard you. Watch out. God will take you at your word. Will you let me know? Will you just take the communication card and just write your name, maybe email address, so I can email you some things that I think will help you understand. And I'd love to talk with you. So God, we give you this. We love you, Lord. We look forward to all that you're going to do this week. May we be sensitive to your work in other people's lives. In Jesus' name we pray.